We're starting a new series about God being with us. It's simply called Game Changer, and uh, we're going to be exploring the life of Christ uh, over the next several, several weeks. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines Game Changer as a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation in a significant way. Now, according to the same source, uh, that, that term that we use hasn't been around uh, except for 1993 and following. Now, I thought it was a lot older than that. I mean, I, I thought we'd been using that term for a long time, but evidently not. The concept, however, of a game-changing moment or a game-changing event has been around since the very beginning of time. If you ever stop to think about the game-changing events that have, that have changed our history. Uh, let me give you some that are just from the month of December in history, all right? Uh, December 25th, 336 A.D., the first recorded Christmas celebrated in Rome. Uh, December 20th, 1620, the pilgrims land at, Pilgrim, uh, or at uh, Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. December 15th, 1791, the Bill of Rights went into effect. December 11th, 1816, Indiana becomes the 19th state. December 31st, 1879, Thomas Edison publicly demonstrates the incandescent light bulb for the very first time. December 10th, 1896, the very first college basketball game was held. December 17th, 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright successfully flew the first powered aircraft in history at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Now, to some degree, all of those game-changing factors have impacted our own personal history. But without a doubt, without any doubt whatsoever, the greatest game-changing factor of all time occurred two millennia ago when the God of the universe chose to spend a lifetime with us so that by his advent and sacrifice we may choose to spend an eternity with him. Jesus Christ is the ultimate game-changer. And as a result, between now and Easter, we're going to do a series on his life, how he changed everything. But we're, we're going to take a look at it through the people whose lives he actually changed. So we're going to take a look at the individuals and the impact that Jesus had on them because I'm convinced he's making the same impact on us today. His life-changing influence, however, began long before he was actually born. The anticipation of his coming actually changed history before the world heard his first cry from the dusty straw of that Bethlehem manger. You see, the whole heartbeat of the Old Testament is found in this singular thought, the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. The spirit of anticipation fills the pages of the Old Testament from the opening lines of Genesis to the closing remarks of Malachi. But anticipation is, is what it's all about. And anticipation is a funny thing because it varies from person to person, personality to personality, culture to culture, uh, climate to climate. Uh, anticipation is it's unique to each one of us. Uh, if you grew up in the Midwest like I did, uh, you have an anticipation of what Christmas Day is going to be, right? It's going to be cold. And just snowy enough to create a winter wonderland without too much snow that you lose electricity or makes the roads impassable. 
the tree, the tree is absolutely perfect. Everyone gets gifts that they love and everything fits and nothing has to be returned. The meal, the meal looks like it was the model for a Norman Rockwell painting, but no one is exhausted from its preparation or its cleanup afterwards. The afternoon is filled with laughter and games as the snow gently falls silently outside, blanketing the bare ground and the leafless trees. And when the day is over, you lay your head down on your new Christmas pillow with a contented smile, and you bask in the warmth of a wonderful Christmas celebration. I've never had a Christmas like that here in the Midwest. <laughs> But that's always the anticipation, and it's always the plot of every Hallmark movie ever produced. If you grew up in Florida or Southern California, I suspect you have an altogether different anticipation of what Christmas Day is going to look like. You see, it's unique to us. Now, the period of biblical history prior to Matthew's gospel is best described, I think, by the word anticipation. You see, the Old Testament contains the story of Christmas before there was a Christmas before there was a Christ child, before there was a manger, before there was a magi, magi, before there was Mary and Joseph. What do we know about Christmas before there was a Christmas? Well, let me tell you a little bit about what happens in the Old Testament. I know some of you are oh, why is that important? It, it is so important to understand that the foundation of our faith rests in the events of the Old Testament. Now, here's the deal, folks. You've got to understand this. There are, there are about 60 different prophecies that have to do with the coming of the Christ child, all right? And all the things that Jesus was going to do in his earth. About 60 unique different prophecies. If those happened, if those happened prior to his birth, all right, then we know that what Jesus did could only have been fulfilled in a miraculous way, that he is with no ordinary person, that there is nobody like him in all of history. Now, some suggest that the prophecies were, were kind of uh, tweaked after his birth and that things were added to Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Micah and all these different ones so that it made it look like Jesus actually fulfilled these passages. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls discovery changed all of that, and it once and for all settled the prophecy dispute. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and dated, they were found to be at least 100 to 150, maybe 200 years prior to the birth of Christ, and the prophecies that we know are intact as they were written, which means that Jesus came after all those things, and for all those things to be fulfilled in one man's lifetime is just absolutely astronomical phenomenal. Do you know what it would be like for just 48, 48 of the 60 prophecies to be fulfilled in one man's lifetime? It is one followed by 157 zeros. I mean, what is that number? How, how can you even fathom or comprehend that number? It's the equivalent of a tornado blowing through a junkyard and assembling a Boeing 747. It's, just, it's beyond comprehension or understanding, which means then that the entire anticipation of the Old Testament leads us to this glorious story, this game changer that we call Jesus. Now, there's a hint of his coming in the creation story, but, but the real story begins with a man by the name of Abraham whom God chose to be the father of the Jewish nation. And God said, Abraham, if you follow me, if you go where I send you to go, I will give you 
an heir, and your descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the sea or the stars of the sky. Now, that's pretty good news. That, that's a great promise. The only problem was that Abraham and Sarah had no children at this time. Sarah was barren. She, she had not been able to give birth to any child, and so this promise was really something that Abraham and Sarah were clinging to. And so Abraham, through the years, kept hoping on the promise of God. The only problem was that Abraham was getting up in years, and this was far past what was physically possible. Abraham's story is filled with ups and downs and spiritual triumphs and spiritual failures, steps of faith, and plots of human intervention. And yet, when Abraham was a hundred years old. He had become a centenarian. A baby was born, Isaac. Sarah herself was 90. The promise, the promise had finally come true. All those years of anticipation had become a reality. Now, this is where we like to, we like to take the story of Abraham, and we like to begin there at that moment and take it the rest of the way. And we forget, we forget that the bulk of Abraham's life, a hundred years of his life, were spent in nothing more than anticipation. The waiting for God's promise to happen. I, I get encouragement from that because sometimes we spend a lot of our life waiting on God. God has a plan. We just don't know exactly what it is. We, we know we have the promise, but if, if I could look at Abraham and say, hey, you waited 100 years before the promise came to be. Lord, help me to be patient as I anticipate what you are going to do. So Abraham now has his son. The promise has potential, and then the unthinkable happens. About 15 or 20 years into this whole story, God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice in worship to me. And so Abraham packs up everything that they need. It's a three-day journey. Isaac carries on his back the wood for the sacrifice, and they journey to this hilltop that God designates. Sound familiar? A three-day story? The condemned carrying his own instrument of death? an only son, a rugged hill. I mean, the parallels are impossible to miss. God is telling his story in the story of Abraham. And just as Abraham raises his knife to take the life of his son, God stops him and says, Abraham, don't, don't, don't do the boy any harm. I now know that you trust me. You see, this whole, this whole experience was a test of his faith and obedience in God. Now, non-believers, non-believers derisively mock God through this story as being bloodthirsty and cruel and, and um, sadistic. But they have lifted the story out of the context of the scriptures and taken something that was beautiful and tried to make it something bitter. You see, God never intended Abraham to take the life of his son. God's picture here is, is a demonstration of complete trust. I think when Abraham got this command, he thought, okay, God's just going to raise him up from the dead because he made this promise, and I believe God's going to keep this promise. I don't know what was going through Abraham's mind. I just know that he trusted God through all of those years of anticipation. It had, trust, it had taught him to trust God when he could not see. You see, God never sanctioned 
human sacrifice. God never desired human sacrifice throughout all of history. He only sanctioned one human sacrifice in all of time. And that was his, his son, so that we might have everlasting life. Now, it is when Abraham's just about ready to plunge the knife that God intervenes, and, and God says this. He says, I will, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and, and here's the promise, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That promise, all the nations are going to be blessed through the descendants of Abraham, is the coming of the Savior. In the story of Abraham, God told the story of the ages. A promise, a long anticipation, a birth, and a sacrifice. It's a story that never grows old. And here's what I want you to see. Abraham's life was profoundly impacted by a baby he never saw. A baby that would not be born for another 2,000 years. And yet anticipation of what God would do in the future changed his life in the present. Now, fast forward 1,300 years after Abraham, and the Hebrew people are still anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. The prophet of the palace, a man by the name of Isaiah, boldly predicts what would happen 700 years later. And this is what Isaiah writes in chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now between Abraham and Isaiah, the kingdom had peaked. Its glory days were under the reign of David. And, and God's promise would be that the Savior would come as a child, a descendant of David. And so now the Israelite people have gone from anticipation to expectation, and they think he's going to be an earthly king. Now you realize, folks, don't you, that nobody's ever born an earthly king? You're born a prince, and then maybe, maybe you get the chance to step up into the role of king. Except there. History does record an unusual turn of events in the Spanish royalty uh, of, of the 1800s. Alfonso XII, king of Spain, died in the year 1885 and had no children at that time. But, but his wife was expecting. Six months after her husband died, she gave birth to Alfonso XIII. He was born a king, not a prince. He was born a king because his father had already died and he was the rightful heir to the throne. But that's not the only time it's happened in history. When Jesus was born, he was born a king. Remember the Magi came to Herod's palace and they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Pilate had placed a placard over the cross that said, king of the Jews. He was a king at his birth. He was a king at his death. He remains a king on the throne of heaven. He is known as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But the one thing he's never been is an earthly king. And even though the Jewish people were anticipating an earthly king, God had a different plan. And yet, even though their anticipation 
was not quite accurate. It still changed their lives. In the good times, they celebrated the fact that the Savior would come and make things even better. And in the tough times, they consoled themselves with the hope that when the Savior comes, he'll make everything right. In their anticipation, they didn't have the details right, but they knew his coming would change it all. In a very real sense, there was the spirit of Christmas before there was Christmas. The Savior's coming was promised. They were just waiting for him to show up. And you say, okay, what does this really have to do with me today? Well, it has a lot to do with us today. There, there are two things that come to my mind, two lessons that grow out of this Old Testament anticipation. I'll just give them to you real quickly this morning. Here, here's the first one. God's promises are worthy of our trust. Abraham, David, and Isaiah never lived to see God's promise fulfilled. They, they never saw the Savior come into this world. But they lived... They lived as if the promise had already happened. Now, that's what faith is all about. It's, it's walking with God, trusting God, being a, a follower of God, even when you know, hey, the promises that God has made to me in this life haven't yet come to pass, but I'm going to live as if they have already. And you say, well, what promises God made to us? Oh, my goodness, folks. There are so many, we don't have time to go through them. Can I, can I just give you three promises this morning that, that I think will help your life? Because they certainly help mine, especially on the tough days. How about this one from Philippians 4.19? And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That was written to the church. And my God will meet all your needs. Your spiritual needs. Your emotional needs. Your, your physical needs. Your intellectual needs, my God will meet all your needs. Not all your desires, not all your wants, but your needs. He's got you. He's got your back. Isn't that a terrific promise? And we anticipate that, that knowing that God has made it, and God has never yet failed to keep a promise. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Do you understand what that promise is saying? That God knows you, and he will not allow you to be tempted to sin beyond a point where you're capable of saying no. What a promise. The problem with that is that whenever I sin... I have nobody to blame but myself because I know God's made a promise to me that I'll always be able to resist. Terrific promise. How about this one? 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that word purifies us in the present, which means continually purifies us. Do you, do you understand what this is saying? If you walk with Jesus, if you keep walking in the light as he is in light, even though you stumble and you fall and you make mistakes and you sin, if you get up and keep walking in the light, then the blood of his son continues to keep you spiritually clean. Wow. What incredible promises. On the tough days, you keep trusting his promises. He's never failed to keep one yet, and your anticipation in his promises will be rewarded. Here's the second thing. Anticipating the future will impact our present. J just as Abraham anticipated the future, just as Isaiah anticipated the future, and the future impacted their present, so it is with us. As we look down the road, as we look to what God is going to do, it will impact the way we live right now. 
uh, this morning is the 73rd anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor that launched the United States into World War II. When that happened, most people had no idea anything like that was going to happen, especially the, the people on that sleepy Sunday morning in Oahu. I mean, it was a complete surprise. There were, however, a handful of military analysts and decoders who were convinced that something was coming, and they knew, knew that something was on the horizon. They were desperately trying to figure out what it was, and they were trying to warn and prepare our nation for what they thought was impending uh, event. Now, they didn't have all the details right, but they knew something was about to come. My, my concern is that we as Christians have forgotten that God has said there's an event on the future, that there is an, an impending event that we got to get ready for, and that is his promise to come again. Now, later on this month, we're going to celebrate his first coming, but the hope of the scriptures is that he will come again, and it will change everything, and that ought to impact how we live our lives right now. We can look back and see the completed picture. But we still live by faith. Because you see, I think we have more in common with the Old Testament folks than we do with the New Testament church. They saw Jesus. We're living by faith, just like Abraham and David. The very anticipation of the Savior's first coming shaped their lives. It should also shape our lives. In a very real sense, folks, there will be a Christmas after there was Christmas. The Savior's coming has been promised. We're just waiting for him to show up. Now, most of us think that uh, tomorrow is, is, is just kind of guaranteed to us, but the obituary page in the HT reminds me that it's not. None of us know what tomorrow holds, which means the assurance of the promise that he's coming again ought to change how we live right now. So, in light of what we know is going to happen, how are you going to start living? Well, I would suggest you start making the most out of life right now. God has assured us of a victorious outcome, and that should change how we live every day. So let me give you some suggestions, all right? Here, real quickly. If you've been dreading Monday mornings, start delighting in Monday mornings, all right? Change your attitude. If, if you're alive on Monday morning, that's good news. All right, and so instead of getting up and being druggy about the fact that it's, it's Monday morning, get up and say, it's Monday morning, and I'm alive, and I can breathe, and I can, I can live, and I can work, and I can love, and I can have all these things going on. My so instead of dreading Monday morning, start delighting in Monday mornings. If you've been praying that God will make you something special, start praying that you will become special in someone else's life. If you've, been, if you've been seeing tomorrow as just another day, start viewing it as another gift from God every day that you get up. If all you can see is the negative around you, start praying that God will remove your spiritual cataracts and give you clarity to see the positive. Make the most of your life right now. The outcome isn't in doubt. Only our anticipation is in doubt. So this week, this week, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. This week, make at least one change in your thinking. You can do that. I'm not asking you to change everything about your thinking. I'm just asking you to change one thing about your thinking. Eliminate something negative in your thinking and replace it with something positive. Okay? I know all of us deal with negative thinking. So just say, okay, I'm not going to think about that anymore. I'm going to replace that with the positive. Husbands, if your wife starts in on something negative, gently, gently remind her to think positive, all right? 
Wives, if your husband starts thinking negatively, just hit him between the eyes with a two before and say, hey, start being positive about this, all right? So you, you, you lay aside the negative and adopt something positive. Just one thing this week. You can do more the next week, just one thing. And, and the second thing is make at least one change in your actions this week. Help your neighbor with a project. Do some shopping for a shut-in. Somebody that you know that can't get out of the house. Maybe they want to get a Christmas gift for a family member and they can't get it or they need groceries. Do some shopping for a shut-in. Offer a kind word and a smile to a stranger. In this season where people kind of bump and shove and get irritated easily, give a kind word and a smile to a stranger. Invite an international student to go to lunch with you so that they will get a little taste of home and family while they're here away from home and family. Respond to a global Christian outreach for people that you will never see, like the catalog that Tim was showing you a little bit ago. Uh, make a visit to a nursing home. I don't care if you know the people or not. If you just stop by every once in a while and talk to somebody that maybe doesn't have family or friends, you'll make their entire day. You'll make their entire week. You may make their entire year just by taking the time to do a little something that's different. Some of you will be headed out to lunch after we're done here in a, just a few moments. Uh, I'm going to ask you today to be extra kind to your waitress or your waiter. Uh, be extra uh, generous in your tip. You know, I, I would have thought we would have gotten this message, but uh, uh, I, I meet with some of our younger guys for our breakfast on Wednesday mornings, and, and the uh, server who takes good care of us every week, she told us this past week, she said, the day I dread working the most is Sunday. She said, because of the rudeness and the lousy tips. And I thought, oh, I've heard this story before. I hate to keep hearing it. I'd have thought by this time we'd have learned our lesson and gotten better. So, this week, as a reflection of where you've just come from, go out and be extra kind in the restaurant today if you eat out and leave an extra generous tip and, and treat people like you would want to be treated because, you see, you are anticipating that there's a day coming when Jesus is going to come back. And if I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, then he is going to be my Savior forever. Not every day in the future will be easy, but this truth keeps me going. I may not know how each day will unfold, but I know the outcome of tomorrow. If Jesus is king, and he is, evil will not triumph. God is still in control and on his throne, and Jesus always keeps his promises. And that's an anticipation that I know will always come true. So, change your thinking, change your actions, anticipate He's coming.